the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Sponsored by the Law Office of Robert Bergman. Welcome to Plan Your Estate Radio with your host, San Jose Estate Planning Attorney Bob Bergman. Bob's been practicing law for over 30 years and is certified by the State Bar of California as a legal specialist in estate planning trust and probate law. Bob is here to help you set your house in order with valuable insights you can use today to prepare a better tomorrow for your loved ones. And now your host for Plan Your Estate Radio, Attorney Bob Bergman. Good afternoon, Bay Area. This is Bob Bergman broadcasting from my palatial office in San Jose, California. Palatial, we'll put air quotes around that one. It's comfortable, not real fancy, but I can get the job done here. Um, I'm in a real good mood today. Uh, yesterday, uh, those some of you may recall that uh, I mentioned in passing that I am actually uh, one of the volleyball coaches this year for the sixth grade uh, girls. We have two teams at my daughter's school. Both of my daughters are playing on my team. We have a small team, only eight players, but uh, but they get the job done. Yesterday, they had their first scrimmage. It was a scrimmage against a school that they um, would not be playing in the regular season. They we were invited over, and uh, the girls did exceptionally well. I should say the young ladies did exceptionally well, uh, winning their game in two sets, 25-6 and 25-14. So um, I think we're going to have a good season this year. I'm excited about it. I'm taking being a coach a lot more seriously this year. I'm studying the rule books. I'm uh, studying formations. I'm learning what a libero is and deciding whether or not we're going to create that job on the team. Kind of exciting. So if you've ever played competitive sports, for me, I played junior varsity soccer in high school until I broke my toe, and then I was out for the season. And then I was a little league, uh, little league player when I was a kid, and I played peewee football, but it's just exciting as heck to see my daughters playing volleyball, especially playing together on the same team. It's exciting watching them grow in maturity and in confidence and their skill sets growing as well. <clears throat> so <clears throat> if you're a parent out there and you're at a school where they have uh, competitive sports for the kids and you can be a coach, I can heartily recommend it. It's a great experience. It's work takes time out. I have to shuffle my schedule around to still get all the work done I need to get done and handle practice and the games that are coming up, but it's well worth the effort. Now, those of you who've been listening for uh, some time know that I do seminars. I actually have two of my Living Trust seminars tomorrow, Saturday the 7th, starting at 9 o'clock a.m. and then another one at 12 o'clock noon. Sorry, I was like burping a little bit there. Kind of hard to talk through that. So uh, they're at my office in San Jose. You can go to lawbob.com, L-A-W, 
bob.com. If you wanted to uh, register, you can also go to eventbrite.com and search for the Living Trust Seminar, and you will find those seminars available. I do still have some space available in both of them, but they seem to be filling up pretty quickly now. I only take 12 people per seminar for a total of 24 for the day. So if you'd like to come meet me, learn about living trust, learn about powers of attorney and advanced health care directives and all those things that make up an estate plan, those seminars are the place to be. I've been doing them for over 30 years, and I really know what I'm talking about, and I think you'll learn a lot, you'll be entertained, and those are some of my promises to you. If you can't make it tomorrow, I'll be doing seminars again on Saturday, October 19th at 9 o'clock in the morning, and then again at um, 12 o'clock noon. So you want to go ahead and book those as well. Um, if you can't make it tomorrow, book into October. I typically do two seminars, one Saturday every month. So kind of like the Crosstown bus, if you can't make it this month, then there should be other seminars coming up in the, coming up in the next month. Now, I will be taking calls today if you'd like to call in with your question. We had a good call last week. Um, but the number is 800-516-1220. That's 800-516-1220. Feel free to call in with any of your questions. Marco's standing by to take your call and let me know. You could also email me at radio, R-A-D-I-O, at lawbob.com. That's L-A-W-B-O-B dot com. Now, continuing on uh, on the pathway that I've had for most of my shows in the past year, I'm going to bring up some of the questions that have come up from around the state of California. I'm going to discuss the question, point out maybe the issues that are involved, and then answer the question if I'm able to do so. And uh, my purpose in doing this is to give a broad education to those of you out there who tune in every day about estate planning and estate planning issues. There's a lot of common misconceptions that are out there about wills and trusts and probate and how to avoid it and conservatorship and what you can and can't do if you're married and what you can and can't do if you're living together and you're not married, all these kinds of things. So part of my job, I think, here on my show is educating those who don't deal with this every day so that you're not caught up short on something in the future. This is a complicated area of law that I practice in, and there's a lot of assumptions that people make that turn out not to be true. So I want to make sure that as much as possible, I pass on this information to you. So if you hear something that applies to you or someone you know, friend or family member, co-worker at work, you know that there's a place where you can refer them the, uh, someone like me who can help them out with their situation. Now, here's someone out of uh, Watsonville says, my dad doesn't want a living trust because of the cost. I told him a will may put me in pro, but he doesn't care. He says it's cheaper than a living trust. Well, you know what? It's going to be cheaper than a living trust if you pretty much don't own much of anything. But if you own a house... Um, a house in this is Watsonville. If you own a house in Watsonville, what's that going to be there? Uh, two fifty, three hundred, four hundred, five hundred thousand dollars. 
if you have to go through probate to get that onto your child, it's going to take the child nine months to a year or more. It's going to be completely public what's happening, what property was that you had and where it's going and where they live. It's all going to be completely public. But you're looking at thousands and thousands of dollars to go through the probate process if you have real estate. Now, if you have a $100,000 bank account, yeah, a will's probably going to be sufficient to get that bank account because you can use what's called an affidavit of small estate value to actually uh, take over that bank account. But if there's real estate and other assets, saying a living trust is more expensive is really not true. It's probably going to be a lot less expensive than going through the probate process. Now, I have a couple minutes left here in this first segment of the show today. And I just wanted to, um, again, let you know you can call in 800-516-1220. Remind you that I do have seminars tomorrow morning, 9 o'clock and 12 o'clock noon tomorrow. And then again on October 19th at 9 o'clock and 12 o'clock noon. Uh, You can always book a consultation to come in and talk about estate planning, living trust planning, planning for life insurance, planning for young children, planning for special needs family members. I do all of that. I also do trust administration where someone had a trust and they passed away. And now people need assistance with doing the legal things that need to be done in order to administer that trust. Um, As I mentioned last week, last week's show, I do special petitions in the court to gather in loose assets after someone's died called a Hegstat petition and then trust modification petitions to modify otherwise irrevocable trusts to make changes to them to make them more beneficial. But you know what? Right now we're coming up on a hard break here in the show. So when we come back after the commercial break, I'll continue on with more questions and comments from around the state of California. Until then, this is estate planning attorney Bob Bergman. And I'll talk with you after the break. This is Plan Your Estate Radio with San Jose estate planning attorney Bob Bergman on AM 1220 KDOW. Hi, welcome back. First of all, the number is 800-516-1220 if you'd like to call in. Otherwise, we'll just go straight forward here and uh, move on with more of the questions and comments from around the state of California here. Now, here's a really interesting one I was looking at during the commercial break. This person said, uh, this is out of San Francisco. The person said, um, my husband passed away and he had a Second Amendment done by an attorney uh, to his trust, saying he specifically decided to keep our residence in joint tenancy with me to allow me to dispose upon the property on his death. Now, joint tenancy would mean that when one joint tenant dies, and it's typically just two joint tenants, it could be more than two, but in this case, two joint tenants, that when the husband died, his half of the property would automatically go to his wife. And what it sounds like was he had added his wife as a joint tenant to the property. But, however, a week after the husband's death, the wife's attorney discovered that the deed was tenants in common. 
Now, tenants in common is very different from joint tenancy. Tenants in common has no survivorship associated with it. Um, the interest of the one spouse that died would actually pass separately uh, and not automatically to the surviving spouse. And in this uh, situation, it says uh, we've been in probate court for the last three years because my husband's adult children from his first marriage wants his half of the house. So the question is, do I have a chance of getting the house since it was a mistake overlooked by the drafting attorney? Well, first of all, if the drafting attorney made a mistake, um, then you might have a claim against the drafting attorney if the if the uh, the drafting was specifically to preserve rights of a beneficiary there might excuse me there might actually be a claim against the drafting attorney because it'll be hard to argue that an amendment that says hey i'm keeping the house in joint tenancy so that my wife can own it when i die um that's pretty pretty specific right there the other thing is that the half interest in the husband's name when he died as a tenant in common might very well be a community property interest if all of the money that was used to maintain that property was coming from the marriage. So I bring that up because uh, it's possible there's a community property claim by the surviving spouse to the deceased husband's share of the property. But I will say this is actually pretty messy. I don't know whether or not there really is going to be any chance that this uh, surviving spouse is going to get the half of the, the property that was owned by her husband when he died. Now, here's someone out of Arroyo Grande, California. It says, Mom had no will. My brother was beneficiary on her bank accounts and other assets. He doesn't want to tell me anything when I ask what's happening to her things, what's right do I, and wants to know what rights do I have and how do I get started on my rights. Okay. Well, if your brother was put on as beneficiary on mom's bank accounts, they're his. This, this is assuming there was not some kind of financial elder abuse or something where he induced her to do that with threats or things like that. But if mom had other things like personal property, um, you know, clothing, furniture, jewelry, things like that, all of that would be subject to going um, either through probate or be subject to being divided up using an affidavit of small estate value. Um, as far as what rights this person has, they have whatever rights they're willing to assert in court because it sounds like if the brother's not cooperating and he's taking control of personal property of the mother and refuses to share it or anything like that, that might actually involve court uh, court action in order to establish a right to half of mom's personal property. So here's someone said, I got hired by the owner of a company and the owner passed away. Uh, I worked directly with him and reported only to him. Since he died, two workers who are power of attorney one and two are now in charge and neither of them I want to work with. Let's pause right there. If there are two workers in the company that had power of attorney from the owner, when the owner died, 
their authority as agents under a power of attorney died at the same time. So if they're trying to run the company um, using these powers of attorney, they're acting contrary to law. I don't mean they're acting and, and they could be arrested, but they're acting contrary to law. They don't have any authority to do anything with this property. The only ones that have authority to do anything are whoever the heirs to the property would be, and they're going to have to start a probate proceeding in order to take over and actually start handling this property. So with that in mind, um, people who are just trying to run the company without um, on a power of attorney, it's no good to do that. It will not work, and, uh, and it's inappropriate to be doing something like that in the first place. So here, uh, let's see. Oh, do I need to turn over items left to me in a safe deposit box? Do I need to turn them over to a trust? My aunt died, and I was sole owner left of a safe deposit box, which includes the deed to her home. The home was listed in her trust. Must I surrender the deed to the executor, or does it remain my property? Let's explain something here. The deed in the safe deposit box doesn't mean a darn thing. That's because the deed is recorded with the county recorder, and that's proof of ownership. If it says it's owned by the trust, it's owned by the trust. Having the actual recorded deed is not relevant at all. So whether you turn it over or not, it's not going to affect ownership of the house. The deed does not show ownership of the house the title recorded with the recorder shows ownership of the house. So um, having the deed or refusing to turn it over is not going to affect anything at all. Now here, my sister put her name on my mom's house deed. Um, she said, let's see, she did it because mom had no living trust. Now my sister wants to keep the house. There's five other siblings. Can she do that? I don't think this is fair. Is there anything we can do to stop her? Mom is still alive, but she's 90 years old. Will the house go into probate? Well, depending on how the sister put her name on the title, if it was joint tenants, it won't go into probate. But if mom's 90, this sounds an awful lot on the surface like financial elder abuse, and the other children should basically step in at this point and maybe at least go to Adult Protective Services in the county and say, hey, we think our sister's playing fast and loose with mom's property. Can you investigate this, please? So we're coming up on the mid-show break. Um, when we come back after the break, I'll continue on with more questions and comments from around the state of California. Uh, so after the break, this is state planning attorney Bob Bergman, host of Plan Your State Radio. We'll pick up then. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. Hi, welcome back. So I'm going to move on now with more questions and comments from around the state of California. And here's one that actually uh, looks like it actually ties in with um, what I was talking about last week. Um, 
This is out of Malibu, California. Um, how can real estate property be transferred from a bypass trust into a survivor's trust? It says, my wife died in 1999 and a bypass trust was established along with a survivor's trust for me later that year. Now, a bypass trust is a trust, an irrevocable trust created after, typically after a spouse dies and it has their share of the property owned in the marriage and any separate property they may have owned outside of the marriage goes into a trust typically to take care of and benefit the surviving spouse for his or her lifetime. So here, this person said, it's 20 years later, I'm getting remarried and I want to place the real estate a house into my survivor's trust in order to enable my new spouse to be able to live in the house until her death, at which time the original beneficiaries would take possession. I've learned this can be done if a fair market value for the real estate is established and that amount placed into an account which can be drawn down as needed by me, uh, the survivor. Uh, that's not really how it works. <laughs> uh, I mean, if the person had the money, they could buy the house from the bypass trust and then put the bypass trust into their survivor's trust because they actually purchased it. But that's probably going to trigger tax taxable capital gain and, uh, and maybe even uh, a reassessment of the property taxes, depending on who the beneficiaries of the survivor's trust are. Uh, it is possible to go to court to modify the bypass trust to permit the property to be now distributed out to this surviving husband uh, to put into his survivor's trust or to put into a new trust, giving his new spouse a lifetime right to occupy the property and then having it passed on to the original beneficiaries of it. But that would take the consent of the wife's beneficiaries for that bypass trust. And if it's the wife's children, probably not going to agree to have stepdad um, do anything with that property that could involve uh, now a stepmother or a or, or something along those lines. So I think the uh, the short answer to all this is you probably can't do this. You could do it through the courts. Uh, if everybody consented, but I seriously doubt that everybody would consent in a situation like that. So now here we go. Um, here someone says, I live in a house that's currently being held in trust as part of an estate. My sister, who's a one-third owner with my brother and I, told my brother the other day that if he didn't do as she said, she would take her part of the house meaning she would force a sale and then place my brother in a mental institution. Okay, well, without getting into all of that, question is, can a part owner force the sale or buy out of a property? And what if the property is into a, in a trust? Well, this can be pretty complicated. First of all, if the property is owned outside of a trust, just owned by three people here, any one or two of them, could force the other one to other one or ones to sell by going to court and filing what's called a partition action. And a partition action basically says, hey, I don't want to be a partner with this person anymore. I want to sell this property and I want to have my share 
of the proceeds coming out from that sale. So um, I don't have to stay in a partnership with people. And that's if someone refuses to sell, you can go to court and have the court order the property to be sold and the proceeds distributed between the owners in proportion to their ownership interests as they appear on the title. Now, if the property is being held in trust, the beneficiaries of that trust are not the direct owners of the interest in the property. Um, Now, I would ask the question here, why is this property being held in trust for, for the three children, unless it was set up that way originally by a parent, which is possible? Um, why hasn't it been distributed out to the children? Well, it may very well be that it's there in trust so that the children always have a place to live, um, so that they can't just sell it um, and, and have someone be forced to move out, for example. But the real question is, can this sister actually force the sale of that property if it's in a trust? I think the answer is likely no, because the trustee of the trust is the one in charge of the trust and in charge of the property. And uh, and so the, the beneficiary does not have a direct ownership interest in the property and shouldn't be able to go to court to force the sale of that property Um, You could go to court and complain that the trustee should sell the property, but um, that doesn't necessarily mean that the court's going to say, yeah, you should sell the property, so go ahead and do it. I think that the sister is probably overplaying her hand here and uh, trying to get a result that really is not supported in the law. So that's kind of my opinion on that one right there. Okay, this person out of Los Angeles, uh, City of Angels, Los Angeles, is asking the question, um, I just inherited a large amount of cash that was in a safe deposit box, about $300,000. Do I owe taxes on it? Well, let me start first by saying $300,000 in cash in a safe deposit box is suspicious on its face. Um, opening that box, uh, unless the person had the key already and was a signer on the box, opening that box is probably going to trigger an inventory of that cash by the bank. And that amount of cash probably would trigger some kind of report by the bank to the authorities because large sums of cash in a safe deposit box can often be an indication of undeclared income by the person who owned the box. Uh, If they're in a cash business like, you know, a restaurant or something like that, maybe they were just taking cash as it came in, not depositing it, not ringing it up, and then storing it in a safe deposit box and not declaring it as income. Just as an aside, if you store cash in a safe deposit box, you you know, if you take money out of your bank account or something like that and then put it in a safe deposit box, make sure to get a receipt for that withdrawal and put the receipt with the cash to show where the cash came from. Because the authorities may take the position that it is undeclared income and income tax should be paid on that. Um, and the serious type of undeclared income is money from drug sales, okay, someone is drug dealing. Maybe they'll put cash in a safe deposit box as a safe place to store it. 
So that aside, let's assume that the cash is legitimate, that uh, there are no unpaid taxes by the person who originally owned it. The question is, does the person who inherited owe tax on that $300,000? The short answer is, seriously, probably not. It's an inheritance. And unless the person also inherited several millions more dollars from the person other than this $300,000, they can inherit. If the person who died had less than $11.4 million estate, there would be no federal estate tax. Uh, The cash coming to this person is not taxable income to them, so there'd be no income tax. But I still caution that that much cash in a safe deposit box is probably going to raise red flags with the bank if they find out about it and they're likely to report it and there might be an investigation that follows because of that so that's just something to be aware of now again with the bank account here now another thing dealing with banks if there's a joint bank account with a family member and the account is also mentioned in the trust what happens i've talked about this before if you have an account with a with a family member that is held in joint tenancy and you die, the family member now owns that account. Well, what if you had a trust and in the trust you listed in there the same account number as intended to be part of your trust? That's a problem because you've created an ambiguity in your estate planning. However, the law says that that trust account or excuse me, that joint tenancy account is going to go to the surviving joint tenant. Uh, This is why I always advise people, if you want your children to be able to access a bank account to pay bills for you and everything, don't put them on as a co-owner with you if you have other children. Because then when you die, that child gets the bank account, and you probably, if you had a trust, you probably wanted it divided up between all the children. Instead, give your child power of attorney authority over the bank account, Um, If it's owned by the trust, that's even better. A lot of people don't put their bank account into trust ownership. But if you put a power of attorney on there, also put that the trust account or the, excuse me, the account is to be paid on death to your trust so that it can be taken over after your death and there won't be uh, any, any significant issues with actually taking it over. So we're coming up on the third break of the show today. We have Less than a minute to go. Uh, We'll have one more segment, then we'll call it quits today. If you'd like to call, it's 800-516-1220. If nobody calls in, I'll continue on with more questions and comments from around the state of California. So this is estate planning attorney Bob Bergman, host of Plan Your State Radio, and we'll come back after a short commercial break. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio. Once again, your host, estate plan trust and probate law specialist, attorney Bob Bergman. Hi, welcome back. Uh, Marco has informed me that we have Bill from San Francisco on the line. Bill, are you there? Yes, I am. Okay, so um, I'm an estate planning attorney. You have a question about estate planning, I assume. What can I do for you? 
Okay, uh, here's my situation. I am legally divorced. My ex-wife has cancer. She went. It's not a good divorce, and so she has gone down and changed the title of the house to uh, tenancy in common. And I, I want them. I want her and my daughter to be able to live there until I would like them to be able to live there until my daughter's 18. But my lawyer is telling me that if my ex-wife passes away, this house will go into probate, probably left to her brother. You know, it's not going to be a good situation. My question is, is there any way for me to set up some kind of trust to make a deal with her that would allow her to stay in the house and my daughter until she's like 18? And then at that point, the sale of the house would go through. Okay, so you're already divorced? Yes, legally. We just have okay. to split assets. Okay, and, and but you own this, after the divorce, you own this property together with her? We've, I've owned it before. We've owned this property for, gosh, 10, 10 years, and um, it's a duplex, actually. And so she's claiming that I can sell my half. I'm explaining to her that that's a city ordinance. I can't just go do that. Um, Okay, um, how how was it titled before? Was it titled as joint tenants? Yes. Okay, so the, the we original owners. Okay, and and so it was, and even after the divorce, it stayed titled as joint tenants. No, she be, just before just before we legally divorced, she went down to the city and went to the title company and changed it to tenants in common. So she transferred her fifty percent interest. To to herself, then? Yeah, is, is exactly. that what happened? From what I understand, yes, and from what I understand, my lawyer said, this is California law, this is a joint property, I just need to go to the judge and say, I need my money, and the house will be sold. On top of that, she has gone and taken $150,000 from the home equity line, which she is sitting on, and she has been paying it, so she's... Uh, you know, basically well, okay. The, so this was all done before the divorce was final. Uh, yes, and it, but it wasn't done by agreement. Then it's not something no, you agreed no, that no, this no, was no. going to happen. This yeah, is no. this sounds like it's primarily a family law issue, because if she okay. acted unilaterally in reference to property that's owned in the marriage. Uh, yeah. Without authority from the court, she's probably probably acted in violation of of a mandatory stay when you file for dissolution of a marriage, uh, of mm-hmm. acting, especially taking an action that affects estate planning. The property the property should have been handled in the divorce. What happens to that property? Does it stay co-owned? Is it sold? The proceeds divided, but her right. action unilaterally severing the joint tenancy was materially changing the the ownership that she had with you. That's something that I believe, I don't practice family law, but I'll tell you, I think you could go to court and have that undone. Yeah. Um, I, know, I don't yeah, think I she had, I think is- she violated, violated a mandatory stay uh, in the dissolution of the marriage to take any action. And if she also took money out from an equity line on the property at the same time, that's probably a second violation of the stay. Exactly. So it's I'm not, not I guess it's not so it's not so much an estate planning question as a family law issue. Um, I guess my, but my, at the I guess at the same time 
I'm sorry, go ahead. I guess my question is from a state planning side, is it possible to create some kind of trust but between two divorced people that, you know, you can stay in the house until the daughter turns 18, at which point there's a ironclad agreement that you're not going to be able to back out of, and I can go ahead and sell the house at that point. Is that realistic? Well, that real, uh, about the, uh, are, are either, of, either of you living in the house right now? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're living in both sides. I got to get out of there. Okay. So, so one one of you's in one side, one's in the other. Yep. It, it, it's it sounds like um, war of the roses. It's complicated. You can't really do it. You can't really do a trust together, but you could each agree to do an irrevocable trust that says what's okay. going to happen uh, with your daughter as the life as the Intel age eighteen beneficiary. And then your respective trusts actually determining what happens to your respective halves once she's reached age 18. Is the property then sold and the proceeds go half to who she wants it to go to, half to who you want it to go to? Um, right. But a joint trust owning the property by by unrelated parties, because you're unrelated now legally, that yep. really doesn't end well and it's really not possible to do. Thank you. So I need to sell the property. So I appreciate all your information, but I'm okay. trying to do the next right thing. Thank you. All righty. Okay. Thank you, Bill. Thanks for listening. Okay. Well, uh, I've been informed we've got less than a minute to go. So I just want to remind you all, I do have my Living Trust seminars tomorrow in my office at 9 o'clock a.m. and at 12 o'clock noon. You can go to lawbob.com to find out how to register or eventbrite.com and look for the Living Trust Seminar for September 7th, and you can register there. I still have a few more spots left for both of those seminars. Uh, feel free at any time to contact me at radio at lawbob.com if you have a question. Uh, I like responding to questions and providing answers to people or at least guiding them into the right direction. So until next Friday, this is estate planning attorney Bob Bergman, Plan Your State Radio. Talk with you then. You've been listening to Plan Your Estate Radio with estate planning attorney Bob Bergman. For more information on today's program or to schedule a consultation, visit lawbob.com, where you'll also find information on his upcoming estate planning seminars. L-A-W-B-O-B, lawbob.com. Or call his office in San Jose, 408-247-0444. That's 408-247-0444. And be sure to tune in next week for more Plan Your Estate Radio. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of this station and are for informational purposes only and should not be construed to be legal, financial, or tax advice. Seek appropriate legal advice regarding your particular situation. Attorney Bob Bergman does not offer any guarantees with regard to the outcome of your legal matter. Prior results in other cases do not guarantee a similar outcome in your case. All rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.